Um, We'll be reading Jeremiah 2, uh, verses 31 to 36. Jeremiah 2, verses 31 to 36. And then we'll be skipping to Jeremiah 3, verses 12 to 16. Jeremiah 2, 31 to 36. 3, 12 to 16. Sorry. If you're a visitor here, you are very welcome. I hope you've enjoyed the morning so far. We love being in the presence of Jesus, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, I just want to thank Joe again. Joe, I just felt God would say the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on you. The Spirit of God is on you. And I also, this is, a, this is, this is not a warning, this is an encouragement, but I just felt God would say, guard that privilege very closely. Because actually you have about you something that is contagious, that is actually very beautiful. Yeah? And, and God says, I want you to guard it. Don't let the distractions of life, what other things might come your way over the years to come, get in the way. Yeah? The Spirit of God is on you. You led us wonderfully in worship this morning. Well done. Um, um, and Mick was meant to be, so please do pray for him. I think he fell over, damaged his wrist. If, if you're looking for an excuse of getting out of Sunday morning, Mick pips it. No, do pray for him. Um, get well soon, Mick, if you can hear us on the, uh, not the tape, you know what I mean. <laughs> to all of you at the family meeting uh, the other night, and all of you who see Jubilee Church as your home church, once again, I just want to say a big thank you from all of the elders here. Uh, at the family meeting, as I watched Simon and Sarush and Gavin and Jonathan Knight uh, and Jed present so many wonderful things that God is doing Uh, here in Jubilee, as I presented what I felt God is calling us as a church over the the coming years, I felt a real sense of faith rising. I felt a sense of uh, God's miraculous provision uh, coming through, uh, uh, as well as a real excitement, really, and a confidence, really, about what the journey ahead looks like. But can I also say, and I'm really glad that Jonathan said it already for me, But watch out. Watch out. As we move forward in the purposes of God, as we set our our jubilee manifesto, if you like, in action, as it were, there is an enemy, there is an enemy, hear this, there is an enemy that wants to destroy that. He does. He hates it. He wants to bring division amongst you. He wants to destroy marriages. He wants doubt and fear to reign on this church. He wants to set up hurdles time and time again to make us all throw in the towel. Do you believe? Watch yourself in this. I just felt God in my, felt in my spirit that God says, speak this this morning. A few of you prophetic guys have already spoken to me about this over the uh, last few months. As the Apostle Paul tells us, put on the full armour, the full armour of God. He's sufficient so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, as Jonathan already said. Jubilee, know, know this, Jesus is sovereign. As I said the other morning, what will get us through the storms of our Jubilee journey, and there will be, there will be storms, is our closeness to him, the richness of our prayer lives, the commitment that we all have to community, to each other, and our faith and trust that lives itself out in radical obedience, 
generosity, forgiveness, and action. That's how he's equipped us to get through. Did you hear that? That's what being filled with God the Holy Spirit looks like. You know what? Over the next few weeks, as we, as we um, host our equipped groups, don't bail out. This is an opportunity for God to strengthen you with proactive um, teaching, provocative teaching, an iron-sharpening iron community. If you're, not, if you're not on one, please do sign up this morning at the back when it's finished. Or you can even start doodling on your telephone right now. I'll give you permission. Sign up to one of these equip groups. We want as many people in community together going deeper into the presence of God. So sign up later. So this morning we're going to be uh, continuing our sermon series on Jeremiah. Um, as Simon so helpfully unpacked a few weeks ago, Jeremiah was writing at a time of political and territorial unrest. Battles were ensuing. Kingdoms were at war. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians. All very, very different cultures and ways. All imposing their gods, their truth, their reality to the world. God's world. Drawing God's people away. And so Jeremiah, if you like, in the midst of this very confusing cafeteria of different worldviews and ideas and lifestyles, is calling the people of God back to what they believe. Going against the tide of culture and the times to bear kingdom fruit for Jesus. Why are we studying this book? That's why. It's very much rooted into our Isaiah 61 vision as we talked about at the family meeting. So let's read um, Jeremiah 2, 31 to 36 and Jeremiah 3, 12 to 16. You of this generation consider the word of the Lord. It's for all of us. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say we are free to roam? We will come to you no more. Does the young woman forget her jewellery? a bride, her wedding ornaments, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. How skilled are you at pursuing love? Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. On, the clo- on your clothes is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor, though you did not catch them breaking in. Yet in spite of all this you say, I'm innocent. He is not angry with me. But I will pass judgment on you. Because you say, I have not sinned. Why do you go about so much changing your ways? You'll be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Syria. Jeremiah 3. Return, faithful Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favours to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town, two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, 
people will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. Yes, Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you are a great God. I thank you for these words, centuries centuries past. I thank you, Lord, that these prophetic words so long ago are a wake-up call to the church, our church, in this day. And so I pray, Lord God, uh, as as I kind of unpack these very heavy, these difficult words, I pray, Holy Spirit, that we will come to you. I pray, Lord God, that we're not distracted by all the stuff that goes on in our lives and all the stuff that we see on telly and all the stuff that takes us away from you. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that as a bride loves her husband, we will be drawn to you. I pray, Lord God, for intimacy to be imparted this morning. I pray, Lord God, for beauty and joy to be imparted this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you would wake us up to your majesty, splendor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to be continuing unpacking humanity's greatest problem, sin. Did you know that? That is humanity's greatest problem, sin. What's sin? A life not lived all out for Jesus. That's what sin is. A life going astray because it's in denial of this wonderful Jesus. Leave me alone, God. But really this morning we're going to be looking at sin slightly differently, from a different perspective, if you like. God's perspective. God's point of view. That's what this is about. You see, throughout the Bible, God, as in here, is depicted as a lover. For some of you, actually, that might be very offensive or even sick. But the God of the Bible is very different. He wants intimacy and closeness and faithfulness, not just following the rules and cold-hearted, apathetic obedience. No. And so this morning, I want us to get a glimpse of this astonishing view of our relationship with God. Can I just say there's a little bit of a health warning here this morning. God is not British and reserved in in the language he uses in this passage. I hope you're prepared. So three headings. Jesus, the lover of my soul. Second, we, the unfaithful lovers. And three, God's beautiful love story. Firstly, Jesus, lover of my soul. Charles Charles Wesley, one of the uh, founder leaders of the Methodist uh, Christian movement in Britain, shortly after his conversion in 1738, quite controversially wrote a hymn that made many squeamish and offended with its opening lines. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. Got people's attention. There was an uproar. But what it really showed as you read it was Wesley's newfound close relationship with the God of the Bible and actually a deep understanding and knowledge of what this book was really declaring about our God. Over the years, many people have tried to change those words of this hymn to Jesus, the Redeemer of my soul, Jesus, the Saviour of my soul. And all these, although these virgins have you know, come pretty close, they didn't get across 
Wesley's deep understanding of, this, of his new, beautiful, captivating relationship with Jesus. A lover. In this passage, God is described as a husband in 3.14 and as a bride in 2.30... Uh, and we as a bride in 2.32. Think about that. In fact, it's actually a biblical theme, a thread that goes throughout the whole Bible from beginning to end. Right at the start in Genesis 1 and 2, we have all creation coming together. Imagine that. Cosmic wonder, cosmic brilliance, galaxies, oceans, supernovas, animals, countries, mountains, light, darkness. But quite surprisingly, quite phenomenally, the climax of this overwhelming creating and shaping and shaking is what? A man marrying a woman. That's the end point. That's the highlight. That's the turning point of cosmic transcendent creation. It's a bit odd that, isn't it? But if you're you're reading smartly, you'll be saying, hey, there's something more to this that meets the eye. But Genesis 1 and 2 don't tell us that. We have to read on. When you read later in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, we see Yahweh describing Israel's misconduct and sinfulness, not in terms of, hey, pull your socks up, pull yourselves together, guys. Stop dissing me. You're breaking my rules. No. He doesn't say that. He says something altogether different. He describes their sin in terms of sexual misconduct, unfaithfulness. You're cheating on me, says God. You're committing adultery with me, says God. And then we get to the prophets, Hosea, Micah, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They're hard going. But in their language, God is described as an intimate, close husband. Hosea 2.16, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Phenomenal. Extraordinary when you really, really think about it and compare it to the other faiths in this world. And do you know what? This theme just keeps on going, right to the very end of the history of the universe, right there in Revelation. What's in Revelation? A wedding. Boy, what a wedding! You have the city of the people of God dressed immaculately as a bride, beautifully for a husband, coming down the aisle, as if, if you like, to meet him. Revelation 19, 6, 9, 60, 6, 9, 6 to 9 says, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, he reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, you and me, has made herself ready. Are you ready? What a wedding. Look, Jubilee, do you see it? Creation starts with a wedding and ends with a wedding. Do you hear what God is shouting over us? I don't just want you to be my subject, says God. I want you to be my spouse. I don't just want your dutiful service, says God. I I want you to be my most intimate love. I don't, want you to be, I don't just want you to be, me to be your master or your shepherd. I want to be your lover, 
your husband. You, Jubilee, are my beautiful, beautiful bride. Yes, you, Bill. You, Les. You, Abbas. Gorgeous, ravishing bride. what it says. From the start to the finish, the Bible is telling us that this is what life's about, Jubilee. This is the relationship that we were born for. That this is what all of history is moving to. Wow! As Ray Ortlander, a Bible teacher, writes, marriage is, just not, is not just another mutation of human social evolution, as people tell us. It is a divine creation intended to reveal the ultimate romance guiding all of time and eternity. Do you know, Jubilee, how valuable you are to Jesus? Because <laughs> if you don't, it will Because if you do, it will shape you. It will transform everything about you as you receive him on a daily, hourly, minutely basis. Your prayer lives, your worship, your reading of the Bible, they'll all be different, dynamic, intense, purposeful, joyful. Jesus, Jubilee, is the lover of our souls, nothing less. We're not just playing about with a bit of religion every Sunday or spirituality. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine what the Bible says. Solomon, wise fella. Is that your view of Jesus? If not, why not? That's what he wants. Even you, Abbas. <laughs> Secondly, the bad news. Boy, the bad news. We're unfaithful lovers. I hope you're ready for this. Verse 13. Acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favours to foreign gods under every spreading tree. If we, move on to, uh, if we move on to verse 20 in Jeremiah 2, God unpacks that further, much more vividly. He hits us right between the eyes with the truth. On every hill... Jeremiah speaks God's words. On every hill and under every spreading tree, that's where the Canaanite altars were tra traditionally put up, on every hill, on every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. Look. What's he saying? It's not pretty. He's saying, yeah, you say you worship me. Yeah, you say you love me, but look at yourselves. Look at your lives. Look at your decisions. Every decision. Look at how you steward what I've given you. You're, uh, you're giving yourselves to other gods, spreading your legs, as it were. That's what, lit that's what that word, laying down, literally is translated to. To sprawl, to open up. Spreading your legs, wherever it suits you. That's what this, that's what this passage has just Said. Charlotte said yesterday, are you really going to say that tomorrow? <laughs> I am. I just did. Look. 
That's not my choice of language. If it was, I wouldn't have said it. It's not even Jeremiah's. It's God speaking prophetically to us, the church, waking us up, shaking us up, getting us to think about what our lives really look like. In fact, it's all over the Bible. Ezekiel 16, 14, And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, but you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Our God doesn't beat around the bush, Jubilee. Right in your face, my face. Jubilee, you see, that's how God sees sin and not living wholeheartedly for him. That's how much it, that's how much it breaks his heart. I can see by your faces you're shocked. Not as shocked as God. Jubilee, God wants our faithfulness through and through. Our God is a jealous God. Think about that word. Our God is a jealous God who hates our petty affairs with this and that as we give up ourselves for the passing pleasures of sin. Jesus, pleased to us, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, everything about you. Jubilee question. Who are you getting into bed with? That's what Jeremiah is asking. Uncomfortable words. You know, as I wrote that, I also felt I needed to say, for some of you, that is literal. Stop it. Stop right there. God knows who you are. God sees all you are doing and he's, and he's crying out to you lovingly. Repent and turn back. Be restored. Are you listening? But for most of us, it's not literal. Jesus is saying, who are you, who are you giving your love and worship to? Who are you trusting in more than me? Who are you serving with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? How do you know? Well, it's what wakes you up at night. It's what breaks you down emotionally. It's what makes you intensely high sometimes. It's what you fearfully give to. It's what you spend most of your time doing. It's what you dream about one day. These idols, Jubilee, are the spreading trees and high high hills that we lay down for. Don't date Jesus. Give him your everything. He's worth it. Gosh, that was very serious, wasn't it? I'll give you a break. In November, we're going to be having our annual gift day. As I unpacked at the family meeting, we have a very big vision. We're a going people on a mission jubilee, releasing the gospel of Jesus and the boom-changing kingdom activity of God to all people. I believe God has given me the responsibility as I lead the team of taking jubilee to 500 people over the coming years. Over the last few months, God has really been clearly speaking to me about that. Not because I'm fussed about having a 500 church. Look at us, we're 500. Woo! It's not that. 
It's because a 500 church compared to a 200 church declares Jesus in all of his sovereignty and glory much, much more. Where? Out there. It's a measure of the kingdom-shaping activity of this church. Where? Out there. Jesus wants to be known more. And he wants you to be a part of that. More of you, more of you, more of you. I'm hoping, I'm praying, in the November gift day, we can raise greater funds for what we're doing. I particularly want to bring Sarush, this is the first time notice of this, I particularly want to bring Sarush on staff, serving along Simon. Simon is great. Simon is great. Can we give Simon a big round of applause? Simon is great. But I particularly want to bring Sarush on to help Simon, serve alongside Simon for two days. I've been so impressed with these guys, Marvash and Sarush, as they've grown in authority and stature over the years. And food. No. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Sarush. I'm also praying for God, so that's what's one big thing. I'm also praying for God to release more money into training and discipling uh, of future elders and leaders. Expanding teams, if you like. As we move from 200 to 500, extending our teams is going to be key to kingdom-changing growth. And if those of you have tried to extend teams in the past, you'll know it's stormy. It just is. But we want, a church, we want to be a church who hears God and is committed to releasing everyone. I'm also praying for... Uh, I, I also want to raise funds for a building, the building, the building that God has for us. Pray for us. and possibly, Oh, I think we're all going, aren't we? Pray for us as we meet the Middlesbrough Council team on the 5th of November, bonfire night. It might be this building. It might not be. But we are faithfully taking a journey here. I want us to explore and I, I, I want us to explore innovative and creative ways of reaching out. I want to revamp our media window, the website and how we present ourselves to the world. I want to extend our social justice activity, more sparklers, more love for the poor and marginalized, more lifting up and support for, the, for marriages and family. I want to build on our nation's activity. Isn't it great that Akans here with us? I want to grow and multiply our community groups. It's going to cost. Who's it going to cost? It's going to cost you and me. But it's worth it. Why? Because he's worth it. Jesus said very famously in Matthew 6.21, and I'm paraphrasing it somewhat. Some of you all heard me say this on the uh, family night. Your wallet, Jubilee, is the place where your heart reveals itself most accurately. Jubilee, thank you for all your faith over the years, your trust, your friendship, your radical, and I mean radical, generosity. We're not a rich congregation. As some of you saw some of the Facebook posts and all that kind of thing, we're not actually a very, uh, um, we're, we're, we're not a very, um, um, what's the word, a rich part of the country. But year in, year out, you have shown your heart for Jesus. You've declared your heart for his church. 
going against the tide of the economic times. Well done. Can I ask you to pray about our November gift day? Not with a, oh no, not again, Jesus. I sometimes pray those prayers. But rather with a heart enthralled and captivated by all the love and adoration that Jesus has shown you, that we've just been reading about, that we've just been hearing about. I'm doing this willingly, sacrificially, joyfully for you, Jesus. Why? Because you have done so much for me. You've taken my breath away. How has he done that? Well, let's get to the final point. God's beautiful love story. There's a couple of things here that are hinting at God's great redemption plan. His plan to rescue the world from our unfaithfulness and sin. We've already had the bad news, and boy was it bad news. But Jeremiah is speaking things of things that he doesn't fully understand. And in them there is hope and restoration. And we know about it. Firstly, right at the very end, there's two things really. Firstly, right at the very end of the verse, uh, of, of verse 14, it says, Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you in those days, hear this, when those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered, nor will it be missed nor will another be made. What's that about? Well, the ark was the place where the Ten Commandments, Moses' stone tablets were kept. And this ark, as God commanded, was kept in the tabernacle, the special place where God dwelt, where his Shekinah glory flowed into and flowed out from. Way back in the Old Testament, you can read about it. Later on, in this, later on this tabernacle became the temple, didn't it? And in the temple there was a curtain about 60 feet high and three inches thick called the parashah. This curtain was a sign of separation. It kept the people apart from the awe-inspiring, dangerous Holy One on the other side. It reminded them that they were not up to the standard required to approach Him, the God of the universe. It was declaring that God is profoundly holy and you and me are not. And that remained so for 1,500 years. But one day, something happened in about AD 30 that would have shocked the temple attendants that afternoon. Imagine it. Suddenly this barrier that prevented you from approaching God for 15 centuries that spoke of the great wall that separated us from God phenomenally, startlingly has been, had been ripped in two from top to bottom 60 feet high, 3 inches thick and as they witnessed this over the hill they would have seen a man on the cross the dying Messiah, Jesus himself at that very moment, taking on the sins of the world, all the filth and grot of our lives, all the deserved consequences of humanity's, all of humanity's disobedience, dishonor, disregard for this holy God, 
Everything that separated us from him, everything that this curtain signified, 60 feet high, 3 inches thick. From noon until 3 in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. About three, about, at about 3 in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. No more animal sacrifices. No more ceremonial washings. No more rituals. No more cleansings. No more go go between priests. No more 60 feet high and 3 inches thick. No more jubilee. No more jubilee. This curtain had been ripped in two permanently. By the grace of God, we now, we now have full access to the Holy of Holies. This beautiful God, God's intimate love. As the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Wow. That's why people will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. Jeremiah didn't get it fully, but we do. That is all over and done with. How? Well, secondly, verse 32. Does a young woman, hear this, does a young woman forget her jewellery, a bride, her wedding ornaments, What is he talking about? Does a young woman forget her jewellery as a bride, her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten who? Me, God says. Days without number. Do you see what he's saying? Do you realise the magnitude of what he's saying? Let me tell you. It seems that God is saying that he is our wedding day jewellery and ornaments. So what's that about? What's his point? Well, I've been to a number of weddings over the years, and I'm sure you have. And what I've noticed is that, a lot of the, is that a lot of time and effort and planning and money goes into the bride's ornaments and dress and veil and flowers and tiara and all that jazz. Lots of time and money and effort. And the thing that brides want to hear most of all on their wedding day, after all this effort, time and money, is what? You look perfect. Ned's going to be going to a wedding soon. That's what, they, that's what they want to hear, particularly from the guy who's standing right at the front with slightly sweaty palms and a slightly nervous smile. She does. All the time. Every wedding. Pound for pound, that day she's probably wearing more jewellery and clothing and ornaments and whatever else 
that she'll ever wear at any other time, possibly in her life. What's she doing? Well, the only way to look perfect, and this is what this is saying, the only way to look perfect when you know you're not at all perfect looking is to hide it. Hide it under the satin. Hide it under the makeup. She's, tr- she's trying her very best to hide all the imperfections and all the blemishes and all the deficiencies. She's trying her best to gloss over all the bumps and bulges and failings. Anything she doesn't want her husband to see. And usually she does a pretty good job. See what God is saying here? Amazingly, really. Jeremiah could never have grasped the wonder of what we're reading now in his time. But we can, can't we? He's saying all your life you've been trying to beautify yourself, clean yourself up, make yourself look good, make yourself look important through your hard work, through spending money, through all your GCSEs and A-levels and degrees, through all your hot dates, your Facebook and Twitter pages, your children, your wife, your nights out, beautifying, beautifying, making everything perfect, making life worth living, driving you to despair. But deep, deep down, you know it's not working. It'll never work. Every other lover, every other fatal attraction will fail you in the end. They always do. But the God of the Bible, the Christian God, hear this, unlike any other God of any other faith or belief system, says, I'm different. I am the only groom who beautifies you. Perfectly. How? Well, we're back to Calvary again, aren't we? 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news. That's the joy news of Jesus right there. He was stripped so we could be clothed. He was deformed so we could be made beautiful. He was crucified so we could be cleansed. He took on all the pain and depravity of the hell we deserved so we would never have to be there, go there. He paid for it. Our groom, our beautiful, beautiful, wonderful groom did that for us, you and me. God is saying, if you want to be my bride, you have to let me clothe you. It's a grace thing. Jesus is saying, look, I know the secrets of your heart. I've seen you naked. I know about all your deformities, every single one of them. I know everything that's wrong with you. I have seen you right to the bottom. I know all the things you think only you know. But I, I love you anyway. I've covered it. Now, Shirley. Now, Lou. Now Eric, back there. Now Sean, now Marvash, now Jody, now Alan, now Rob, now Solomon, now Fevan. You, Amani, you, 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 all of you are beauty to me. <laughs> That's what God says. Jubilee, I know that. I know, Jubilee, if you know that, you have the freedom of true love. I want to end there just by reading this the end passage 
uh, from a book by Andrew Wilson, and it's talking about this, and it says this, Can you believe that? We We don't come to our senses and clean up ourselves, and God doesn't ignore our filth and decide he can live with it. Instead, he acknowledges our impurity and then obliterates it utterly. He takes all our adultery and whoredom upon himself, remaining faithful even when we are faithless, and clothes us in the purest, whitest garments imaginable. He turns up, he turns our cheap perfume and tacky miniskirts into a stunning, shining wedding dress. He arranges our hair and adds the perfect accessories. He makes our bloodshot eyes sparkle with delight and our knife-slatched and our knife-slatched forearms smooth and free from scars. And then with tears of joy in his heart as he gazes on the bride of his own love has made beautiful, he takes the largest megaphone he can find and says to the world, Look, my church, the bell of the ball, the most beautiful girl in the world, the bride of Christ. Jesus is coming back for a wedding. It will be a wedding that makes ours look half-baked in comparison, where the feast will never stop, the wine will never run out, and the dancing will never end. You and I, if we're part of the church of God, are you part of the church of God? We'll be there. Not as a guest, not even as an usher, but the bride herself, the one who cuts the cake and appears in all the photos. So invite your friends. The wedding is coming soon. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these difficult words. But I also thank you, Lord, for the hope that comes from them. I thank you, Lord, that you have grabbed our attention this morning. As only you can do. And I pray, Lord God, that through this journey this morning, we can come out knowing the beauty and wonder of our intimate holy God. That we as the bride of Christ have been clothed in your beautiful righteousness, that we can't do this ourselves. If there's anybody here this morning who does not know Jesus and has been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to live the life that somehow they feel they can never attain, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will touch them this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will show them your beauty, that you are the lover of their soul. You are the one who wants to draw them into a life of faith and joy and eternity. So I pray, Holy Spirit, as we break bread now, as we uh, share, um, uh, as we remember what happened on the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for, for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I pray, Lord God, as we break bread and drink the wine, we remember this. We remember this as true to our lives right now, that you're not a dead God, but actually you reign and rule right now in our lives, setting people free, taking people through. They're right in the downs. They're right in the highs. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we break bread together, we can encourage one another as we remember your freedom delivered to us through the cross and by your resurrection. 
Be with us as we break bread, as families together. In Jesus' name, amen. Righty. Um, we're going to break bread now, as you've probably gathered. Uh, it'd be good to have a song, actually. Do you want to...